You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and this is Volume 2, This is the Voice, Track 3, with Cody Ballou. Come on, come on, turn it around. Did you hit it? I did. Yeah. Did you hit it? You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here with the man who is, at one time, was crazy in love, Cody Ballou. Cody, how are you doing today? I am so good, and again, I'll tell you, I'm just shocked as hell that I'm on this podcast. I mean, I feel like it's been since 1992 that I was on the show, but here we are. Only 1993, that's all. That's right, um, that's right. That's well, comment. I was, right. <laughs> well, I was a big fan of yours when you were on the show. I thought you brought a lot of, uh, personality is not a strong enough word, um, oh. but I'll say personality and uh, life and just... Uh, just a great joy to the show, and it really drew me to you as a fan, and drew me to you as someone I wanted to follow your musical career since the show. And I'm super excited that you released your album this past year, and we're gonna dig into that later on the show because there's a lot of great content there. But first, sure. I want to start out with a question I like to ask people that have been on the show, uh, and that's, what does music mean to you? Mm, loaded question, Joe. Um, <laughs> well, for me, um, it means a lot of things, but I guess it's best summed up uh, one of my earliest memories um, that I have. I'm just going to go ahead and apologize for my cold right now if it's like, <laughs> making you feel like... Anyway. Um, <clears throat> so one of my earliest memories... Um, is of me standing on top of a chair uh, next to a p- an upright piano um, at the at the head of a little one room rock church uh, in the community I grew up in called Antioch, Arkansas. Okay, and um, there was an elderly lady. Ancient is probably a better word. She was just she was <laughs> old, but she was playing the piano and I sang this little out of mine and I really would love to go back in time and be an adult and see this scene because it's not like I was old enough to ask to be put up there um, <laughs> but they put me on the chair because I was so little I mean no one could have could see me um, mm-hmm. past the first pew and um, everything about my life really started then. Um, and I feel like that song is important and symbolic because I sort of, from the minute I learned that song, it became embedded in my psyche of you have a light, everyone has one, and it's up to you to shine it. And the way that I shine mine is through music. Um, right. and so, um, 
fast forward to being an adult, one time uh, this lady, you know, sometimes people ask you how you are as like a knee jerk reflex. They don't even really want to know. Um, Yeah, it's just habit. Right. And she asked me like, so how's your music going? And she just caught me on this day where on any other day, I just would have been like, it's great. But I just started word vomiting all of the struggle of it Mm -hmm. in that moment because I was just sort of feeling that way on that day. And I looked up from my monologue and she looked so puzzled. And she said, well, when you put it like that, um, I can't even imagine why you would even want to do it. Mm. And I said, you know, that's an interesting thought. It's not that I do it because I I want to. It's more like alcoholism. It's like <laughs> I do it because I can't help. I'm addicted to. It. I can't help it. Sure. Um, yeah. If I if I didn't do it, um, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be me. Like that's just part of walking around during the day. I'm I'm gonna be singing whether it's in front of myself or a million people. So right. music is just like my skin, really. And you know, that reminds me of there was a quote from and I'm I'm butchering it because I can't find it right now, mm. but it was uh, the lead singer of Counting Crows. He had this quote one time that said if I could stop writing songs, I would, mm-hmm. but I can't. It comes out of me, and it, I have to write it to it, – he said it's, it's what I have to do to satisfy my inner voice or inner mm-hmm. urge or inner just whatever. And he said it's not that I necessarily want to or don't want to. It's that I have to. I have to say this. It comes to me, and I have this thing I need to say, and I have to put it down and let it be said. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I, I totally agree. And, and thank God he does because I love their music. Oh, yes, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, that always just stuck with me, this this idea of it's, it's as you put it, it's as essential as breathing. It is something mm-hmm. that you have to do. And it's not something that it's like, well, you know, I tried this whole music thing and I'm going to go ahead and put my pen and paper and guitar down and, and walk over here and, uh, pick up a calculator and move on to my next, uh, Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the business of music is so crushing and ugly and mean. (laughs) And so no, no one in their right mind should ever want to do this. And, uh, that's something that I like to say now is that when everybody was going around the room and saying, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And for me, it was not from my parents, but just I was from a small town. And so I was just the kid that was going to be a singer. You know, it was sort of dictated like on like in the book, The Giver, like I was just going to be the singer. And right. um, right. (laughs) And so but no one ever stopped and said, that's going to be really shitty. Um, (laughs) no one ever, ever, ever said that because I think they believed in me so much more than I believed in me in, in, at, at at certain points. Um, they never, they never saw it as it was ever going to be hard. They just thought, well, that's what he's going to do. So, right now talk me through 
your life growing up in Arkansas. You talked about being mm-hmm. from a small town. And uh, as I understand it, your dad was a bull rider. Was that yeah, so, before um, kids or? My dad, um, my dad and my mom met sort of at the height of the urban cowboy craze, that mm. movie with John oh. Travolta. Yep, yep, yep. Um, <laughs> my dad was already right doing the rodeo thing. Um, but the, the pop culture piece of that was that all these honky tonks, you know, started opening up everywhere. Sure. And so my mom, um, was from Little Rock, the the biggest Metro we have and grew up, grew <laughs> right. up as a city girl, you know, but, uh, you know, was from through her grandparents and at some points in her life was from rural Arkansas. But, um, so she understood and knew, about growing up a certain way uh, and loved country music. And so they met sort of in this, they met in this honky tonk uh, called BJ's. Um, (laughs) And, um, you know, went from there, but my dad rode bulls. Um, My mom's brother was a bull rider. Um, My grandma's lifelong boyfriend is a really, um, legendary roper, you know, in, in the Arkansas world. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was just surrounded by cowboys and rodeo life. Um, but my dad quit all of that. I don't, I think I was, if, if I wasn't, if he didn't quit before I, I was born, it was like right thereafter. Um, no, sure. actually I take that all back. I have pictures upstairs on, on, on my dresser of me and my mom at a rodeo when I was like three, maybe. Um, and my mm-hmm. dad was still riding. So he quit, um, about the time she was pregnant with my, my brother. Um, okay. uh, so I didn't, he wasn't riding bulls when I was, you know, like old enough to know. Um, sure. But I think he really had this, you know. He, he never said it, but he did have this dream that my brother and I were going to grow up to do rodeo stuff. Um, sure. I just never showed any interest in that. I mean, we all rode horses and were very good on horseback, um, but I never wanted to do the, the wild and crazy stuff. And so it's right. funny because... Uh, the more and more I sang and the more people started paying attention to that as being like, oh, wow, he's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I I learned a lot about carrying a crowd and entertaining um, middle school, junior high age because I was the kid that they would send out in the middle of the rodeo arena, you know, in the dirt part um, yep. while they were loading the shoots because it takes a while to load the bulls. Like yes, when, yeah, when, yeah, when yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you change out the Bronx for the bulls, because bulls is always last. It's the last right. event. Uh, it takes a while, and so the, I would I would go to rodeos with this briefcase that was, <laughs> it was a soft briefcase that was designed for cassette tapes. It was for like <laughs> oh yeah, serious, I know what you're talking about <laughs> serious karaoke people, and I I've had. Seen those. Uh, my go-tos um, that I, I I would get like three or four songs at a rodeo. Mm-hmm. And so I would take my cassette tape and give them to the man in the announcer's booth. And then um, they would give me an intro and I, there I'd go. So um, That's awesome. But 
my first my first rodeo that I was paid to sing for. This is how gay I was. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was. This was middle school. Yeah, and so I'm all decked out in my starch wranglers and my my stetson and my boots and the whole thing. And of course. Um, the songs that I did were "Colors of the Wind" from Pocahontas, the the, the, the Vanessa <laughs> yes, yes, yes. version. <laughs> And um, <laughs> my heart will go on. Yeah, from Titanic. Because I just thought, well, I need to do something that's showstopper, and these are the two biggest songs that I know at the time. And so I got out there, and why no one in my family stopped me is the real question. (laughs) Why this was allowed. But I did those two songs, and then the lady that um, had sort of orchestrated it, she came up to me after, and she was like... uh, that was great, but next time, maybe think about bringing something a little more country and a little bit more up-tempo. <laughs> and so that was the last I did those, and I, I drastically changed my, my rodeo set from there. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so amazing. I love mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, um, um, uh, good job, good job. Um little bit of feedback uh <laughs> exactly. that's awesome that was my first right. feedback and, and my first check for singing that's awesome how old were you at this oh you said middle school right yeah so, so it was somewhere okay. like um it had to be like sixth or seventh grade and i'm, a, sure. I'm gonna blow my nose right here so you're good i mean i'm on the back end of this cold but <laughs> you're good you're good All right. um I can edit that out. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> yep, no worries. Um, okay, so what I want to talk about now, though, before we even get into into music, I want to I want to know from your perspective, looking back now that it's been several years, when did you know you were gay? Um. Well, I knew that I that I crushed on boys. Um like kindergarten age. Okay. So I, I understood that, um, that I, this is who you were having feelings for. That I, that I felt like, like when people would say, Oh, who's your girlfriend? And you know, they do that to little kids all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Um, who do you like? And I just felt that sensation for there were a couple of boys that I just thought 
well, I was like, attracted to, but that's not the word I would have known like at the time. Like hung the moon? Yeah. Well, not even that, but that I was um, infatuated. Like, I just thought oh, they were yeah. really, they were, it was, it started out being more of a comparison. Like, I thought, wow, I could, I'm, I'm not that handsome, or I'm oh, not that sure. cute. And so I was like... um attracted to them through that innocence but then like um whenever we watched beauty and the beast in the second grade in class um Mm -hmm. and the beast turns into the prince at the end right and when he sort of he's he's bent over like hunched over and then he sort of stands up and turns around and looks at her yes and all the girls in the class just just melt you know um, yeah. and I, I remember thinking, well, I, th- I feel the same way they feel. Mm, okay. And then when John Smith came along in Pocahontas, I was like, well, fuck me. I just can't, <laughs> this is a thing. Right, right, right. And so it was very, very innocent. Uh, but I didn't know, I certainly wasn't going to tell anyone. I knew that it wasn't something to be talked about. Right. And then couple that with, um, you know, Southern Baptist Church that oh, we yeah. spent, you know, Sundays going to and Sunday school and all right. that. But there are a couple of sermons that I remember specifically that I thought most of the time when he was preaching, I thought, oh, that doesn't pertain to me. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you know, like right, right. whatever yeah. that sin is, I don't deal with that. So I'm still good. Right. But there right. were a couple of sermons, you know, Leviticus this and Paul that. Yeah. And I right. just thought, mm, I better, I'm going to need to pray about that one. Yeah. Um, and so then, um, Junior high age is when I started going to battle internally, you know, like trying oh, sure. to not not act or be a certain way because um, I didn't want to get made fun of or bullied at school. Right. And so sixth grade, I was the president of the Christian club at school because <laughs> I was I was really into church. Um, yeah. And I just, re- I was really in, I w- I'm a rule follower and a do-gooder right. yeah. when it comes to, like, structured environments. And so, yeah. like, the whole notion of if you do this, then you get to heaven. I really, yep. that really, I could do, I could jive with that. And so, mm-hmm. um, but because I was you know, the president of the Christian club, it it became sort of, I was an easy target because anything that was sort of, you know, at that age, anything can be considered feminine or masculine, you know, kids just black and white. If you don't play football and if you don't do this, but you're a good singer, well then you're gay, you know? Right. Um, Yeah, Yeah. And so to combat that, when I got into junior high, I figured out that if I was the, I could, if I could, if I was more crass and was, if I used, you know, cussing and foul language as, as poetry, like I could really 
I could really communicate with foul language. Um, right. I grew up, all of the people that I grew up around were had foul mouths. And so it wasn't anything I had to learn. I just knew how to do it. And so if I, I figured out that if I was the most crass and could tell the dirtiest jokes and things like that, that it sort of kept the, the gay stuff off my back. Sure. And so that's how I got through junior high. And, um, and then, um, High school age, I tr- I had a girlfriend here here and there. Um, the last girlfriend I had was like for a year, year and a half, and we were we were just best friends and had the best time together. But I was that was my last ditch effort to try to like outrun this thing, right. and I realized that I wasn't going to outrun it. Like this this was it, and right. so. Um, I, I, she actually, her family moved away. And so that was like my out because where I come from, you know, if you're serious through high school and then senior high, then you're getting married. Right. Yeah. Definitely. And so, um, I saw that coming. It didn't help that I gave her a hope chest for Christmas, Oh um, no! <laughs> which I just thought she, it would look good at the foot of her bed and she needed one cause she didn't have right. one and all the girls right. had one. And I didn't, it never occurred to me that that was like a, a big symbol right? to give her that hope chest. Right, 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 um, right. Which may just be a Southern thing, I'm not sure, but... It is. Um, so then when she moved away, I thought, well, this is, I don't have to do that anymore. Um, right. And that was, and I, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to, to use anyone that way. You know, once sure. I knew yeah. that it was for sure, and that I wasn't going to be able to pray this puppy away I, right. I wasn't willing to um prop someone up in front of me sure. I, 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 it was just going to be whatever it was going to be so right but i've now, always known well, that was like a 30 minute answer to no 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 it's good it's good it's part of i think it's really crucial into some um specific topics we're going to talk about later such as your mm rendition of uh jolene and then mm-hmm. also your your latest album specifically with the single crimes so it's mm-hmm. very relevant with a lot of the stuff we're going to cover but i want to know so when did you come out to your family was that later on or was that before? Uh, short, shortly after so high school into college um before my sophomore year of college the summer right before i was going to go back Mm -hmm. Um, somebody told me that a guy that had, had graduated like three years before me from my school, um, whose mother was, um, like one of the beauticians in town. Yeah. She had her own little one room situation, beauty shop, but she was close to my, my family. And, um, someone told me that he had told his mother that I was gay and that I had a boyfriend at school. Whoa. And that um and that I just knew her well enough to know that if she actually knew that it would be more than she even though she was a friend to my mother it would be more than she could keep to herself and that that well, yeah, was about to be all, all over town. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, <laughs> exactly. 
only half that was true, but I wasn't out to many people at that. Like I wasn't out at school in in college. There were a couple of my, my two best friends in high school knew our senior year. Okay. And that was it. And then like my roommate in college and, but, um, so I wasn't ready to tell anyone, um, I wasn't ready to tell my family because I just didn't want to hurt them. Sure. And um, so I had to tell them because I didn't want them to find out from someone else. And so I did. And for whatever reason, um, I just, I really do say it was God's grace because I don't have, I'm not ancient in any way. And But for whatever reason, <laughs> I had the capacity to know going into that, that I had at that point 19 years to grapple with it. Right. I had, I had gone through every emotion that they make at my leisure (laughs) as they occurred. And for me to go to my parents, tell them this, which now rewrites their whole book that they've written for me, you know? Right. Um, to expect them to do it in less than 19 years would have been unfair. Sure. And so I didn't go into it expecting anything, really. I just yeah. knew that I was at a point where the truth was more important. And at that point, if I was going to know the truth and be sure about it, then I was just telling a lie, which right. we, we don't do in my house. And right. so um, it was up to me to tell them the truth, and then it was up to them to decide what to do with it. And um, my family just, they did the work. You know, that's the best I can say. Um, they they came around a lot longer, a lot in a lot shorter time than 19 years. It, you know, it, <laughs> we worked through it in a couple of years. Um, right. Um, honestly, me singing and becoming a personality that's known in 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 and around Little Rock and Arkansas um, helped things along because my family was able to see that um, nobody really cares. You know, I, I'm not right. just out there parading around about it, and I never have been. But I'm also, <clears throat> it's just another you know aspect of of who I am that flavors this the the music a little but um past that you know it's 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 not important to the um the show right and so uh, everybody got there and um that's awesome i have to give them all of the credit um because i just sort of stood back and let them have their time that's awesome so now talk me through You've talked about being a personality in and around Little Rock. So mm-hmm. I know that right before you were on The Voices, we're starting to wrap up this segment. You were, you know, you were going and you were you were known, if I can use that phrase, in Arkansas, in and around, everywhere. And then you would kind of max that everywhere you could, went out on top, and then moved to Nashville and started struggling. So walk me through that whole arc of your life and career. Yeah, I, I just got goosebumps when you said that because um, I moved to I moved to Nashville in May of 2011 and 
I actually got the call for the voice, um, like right after Christmas. It was like January of 2012. Maybe it okay. was December of 11. I don't remember. But um, in be- between May and January, um, I I had a real hard time because I had this small minded notion that I was going to blaze this trail mm-hmm. down the middle of Music Row that Katie Lang couldn't and hadn't been able to do, you know, back in the 90s and 80s. Um, But I was going to do it with all this finesse and dance around it and not, I was not going to be in the closet, but I was also not going to be, like, I had this big master plan. But, um, you know, that was about the time that bro country was starting to get a real hold. Sure. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people like me, I'm not, I'm not even saying gay. I just mean that aren't touting the message of, you know, beer bottles and ice chests and <clears throat> Daisy Dukes and back roads and fishing. Right, and right. The whole formula for those songs, that's right. just not, it was never, gay or straight, that was never going to be my message. Mm-hmm. And, Honestly, um, my music wasn't ready. Um, my my own originals weren't commercially viable at all at that time. But I, sure. I didn't know that. And so um, <laughs> everything I'd wanted to accomplish in Arkansas, I actually did. And there were some big things that I pulled off with the help of everybody else, but that um, set me up to be this doer, you know, like... I didn't have dreams. I had goals. That's the way I looked at it. Right. Okay. And so when I got to Nashville and this was sort of coming up against all these brick walls and, you know, the saying around here is that it's a 10 year town. You know, you have to be here 10 years before something happens. I have heard that as well. I didn't know that. Um, so I was <laughs> expecting, you know, a week or two, a month, you know, something. And right. so I was really, it was the first dream that, I say I had to bury in the backyard because, and I mourned it. It was, it was hard because I thought, well, this is, this is not going to work. Yeah. And they're not, and they're not going to let me in. So what the fuck am I going to do? Right. And then about that time I got the call from the voice. Um, it was just very odd because I had, I was sort of rudderless. I didn't have a direction with music that I, that I thought was viable at that point. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'll be right back with Cody Ballou after this. Romance in lights In eight seconds of time And the twists and turns Were worth the burn of the last goodbye I'm a little banged up And got a lot to show Better luck next time, cowboy You'll get another goal It was a gamble It was a pull my hat down and hold on tight I can handle this I tied myself to the very part of you That would come unhinged Did what I could to not get thrown It was a hell of a ride Put on a real good show It was a rodeo 
I was looking for How many times can you get knocked on and come back home? Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm with Cody Ballou. And now, this is The Voice. You're here. You've made it. I've made it. I mean, <laughs> I have to, like, go so far back in my mind. Right. You realize this was seven now almost eight, eight years, years ago. ago. Yes, I do. I do. And it's just Which is so silly to say. I know. <laughs> it's so crazy. But but as we're talking about this, so you got uh, as I re- recall, you were asked to audition for the voice based off of a video performance you had done uh for just one of your shows at some one of the as I um we were chatting uh previously about Michael Lee's episode and on there he talked mm-hmm. about how there people do come to the cattle call auditions, but then there are also scouts out looking at videos, looking going to shows, looking for talent. And in my estimation, I believe one of those type of people saw you and then reached out to you. Is that more or less correct? Yes. Yeah, so I was uh, painting my bathroom. Okay. <laughs> and I got this call um, telling me who they were. Um, and I, at that point, so the, at that time, the voice was still just once a year. Right. And so, see, I was a huge fan of seasons one and two Mm -hmm. to the point that season two, I was gunning for a girl to win because I really wanted to do the show. Mm Mm-hmm. Or I no, I, I thought if I do the show, a girl needs to win so that a guy can win the next season. Like oh, I was sure, so sure, sure, calculated sure. about. It. But um, I got a call and they told me who they were. They were with casting and they had seen a video of me singing "Up to the Mountain" by Patty Griffin, and um, and it was from a show I'd done in Arkansas. You know, right? And um, would I be interested to do an audition? And I said no. Because no. I had had such a terrible, <laughs> terrible experience auditioning for American Idol. Oh, okay. Um, did that in Dallas. Um, made it through the cattle call. Then went the 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 the, the next round. The producer round was what I felt like was so demeaning. Oh, okay. And um, I didn't make it, but uh, I just knew that if that was the way you had to do to be on TV that I wasn't meant to be on TV. Sure. Um, And so I told him that, and he said, no, 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 this is nothing like that. You know, you will, you have a set time. It's just like Michael Lee said. You have a set time. Uh, We'll come to you in Nashville. You don't have to go anywhere. And so that's what they did. And I walk in, it was in um, at SIR, which is a, a big soundstage, like rehearsal studios. Okay. Sound stages. And, I mean, at that point, The Voice, season three was, as far as I'm concerned, the the pinnacle of the show. Like, that's when it was like, everyone watched it. Yeah. And we were debuting after the Super Bowl kind of stuff. Right, right. And so, um, you know, it was a cool time to be associated with the show. It was still the the core four coaches, you know, the originals. Right. And um, 
and that was the first season that they introduced some new twist, you know, like the steel and all that, and right. the, the knockouts. And, and they um, had the and they had the longer. That was also the year. Uh, not to cut you off, but that was also the year where, mm. um, previous to that, the way that the voting worked in the live shows was you're competing against your own team only until the finale. Mm-hmm. And then that's right. Your season was the year where they were like you're competing against your own team until you make it to the live show, and then it's just kind of like American Idol style where you're just competing mm-hmm. and then the lowest ones are eliminated and it's it doesn't matter if a coach has all their people eliminated you just keep going with the best That's right. and you can and they introduced the iTunes as a yes vote as a voting yes that's right um, but I did my audition and I walked in and I used to carry my phone in uh, up until actually this last update of the phone I, I still carried the every time the phone updated, I just changed the style. But it was like they call it a book book. So your phone slips in and it looks like an old book. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like a leather bound book, and it really did look like a Gideon Bible. It was the at that point the <laughs> iPhone was the size, so it looked right. like a little Gideon Bible that I carried around. And um, I walked in, and. Um, as fate would have it, I was auditioning for the head of casting, but I didn't know that at the time. Sure. Um, I just found out later. But And I walked in, and she said, um, you, do you always carry your Bible with you to, to auditions? <laughs> and I just, without skipping a beat, I said, the real question is, uh, do you not carry yours? <laughs> And we both just fell out laughing, and I knew it did not matter what note I sang. I was on the show. Right. I just knew sure. that that was the that was the ice that needed to break. Right. And that was the end that I didn't have with the producers of Idol, where I had no opportunity to be myself. Sure. Um, and it just it it cut the edge so well that I just was able to relax and be myself as, as a performer and an artist. Yeah. And so I just sailed right through that. And um, it was interesting because all the labels at that time were sending any of their sort of un- unbroken artists, right. um, ones that weren't on the radio yet, you know. Yeah. It was just chock full of industry artists yeah and they were i mean i saw more beads and feathers that day than i've ever seen because these women just to the nines people were dressed and um my partner at the time he was sitting out in the lobby waiting on me and he was just waiting and waiting and he just said you know i saw all these people come and go and come and go and i was there nearly all day you know going to one thing to the next and um so yeah, I just felt like it was my time, you know, right. to be on there, and I really, honestly, went to win. Yeah, um, and it wasn't until close to the live round when the live round started, and we all were kind of like noticing who got what production per song. Uh huh. We were kind of like, oh, okay, so. We're just the supporting cast for X, Y, and Z. Right, right. Um, and once we figured that out, it allowed us to. You, you played the game a little different at that point. Sure. 
And, you know, as a, you know, I, I don't want to keep going back to Michael Lee's episode, but as he was talking about mm-hmm. his live show, I mean, you know, they, production cannot manipulate the vote, but they can give advertising time to certain people or showcase certain different people's blinder battles a little bit longer, you know, just keep certain people top of mind. So when voting comes up, they well, can start how they, how they, how they figured out how to manipulate the vote was with the iTunes. Oh yes. And then, yes. I don't know if it's still this way, but for us, if you got into the top certain, like top 10 or something, if you mm-hmm. broke, into a certain ranking on iTunes, you got like like a superpower points or something oh, sure, crazy sure. like that. A super delegate. That multipl- <laughs> yeah, that, that would multiply your your count. Gotcha. And so then it became, we all knew. Yeah. We, you all you had to do on 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 elimination day was watch iTunes. Right. And if it, whoever wasn't in, whoever was at the bottom of iTunes was the ones that went home. Yeah. That's just how it was. Yeah. Let's, and so they manipulated it that way. Sure. No, that makes sense. So let's talk about, though, let's talk about you made it through the production auditions. You're you're going to mm-hmm. the blind auditions. And the way that the it showed it on the show, you're singing uh, Hard to Handle, and mm-hmm. which is a fan, your rendition was fantastic. But let's talk about the fact that they, that CeeLo turned around at the last millisecond to have you mm-hmm. on his team. So what was that experience like, first of all, just finally getting up on stage, singing, and then not seeing that CeeLo turned around until at the very end? Come on, come on, turn it around. Action, speak louder than words, and I'm a man of great experience. I don't know you got another man, but I can love you better than him. Now, 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 take my hand. Don't be afraid, I'm gonna prove every word I say. I'm advertising love for free, cause you can bet your half of me now. Well, it's terrible for someone like me because I became the you know quote unquote Cody Blue the the artist in loud bars. Sure. And so I relied on the visual entertainment right. as much as the the vocal. Like I climbed all up. I mean, up on rafters and. I mentioned standing on a chair, something about that chair in that church from my first memory. 
I, everywhere I ever sang, I felt like I was standing on top of stuff because right. I wanted to be seen. Yeah. And the voice blind audition is genius in that it strips all that away. Yeah. And then I had a song that doesn't really go anywhere vocally, and um, yeah, it's a real like uh, like in energize the crowd, get you into it, like party right, party but song. But it kind of ma- it kind of as far as I was concerned, and all the times that I had done that song. It you needed those little nuances of body movement, yes, these little yes. innuendos that I was am so good at um, that was was lost on the judges, right, or the coaches. And so, the band and I had decided to do. I was going to cut the band off at, at the end. I was going to do this big finish. And so, songs going, and you know, you got thirty seconds or however long it was to do it, right. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to will them to turn around with my eyes. And it wasn't happening. It just wasn't happening. And so then I was out of song. I was was out of vocal line to sing. And so if you watch it back, you see I'm, I'm turned around giving the band their big finish cues. Right. And I'm gathering myself up for the, it was so nice to be nominated. Right. Yeah. speech yeah um and so i and and that the when the button hits and there's that goosh that sound mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. that's not in the room and they tell you they prep us beforehand and say you won't hear that sound oh, that's added okay. in post and so all you have to go on is the is to see the the chair's turn right well by the time i turned around to face them all of them they were all turning at the same time oh right because the song was over yeah and i just happened to see adam levine he turned he turned to CeeLo. this is the first time i'm seeing any of them mm-hmm. you know he turned to CeeLo and he said did you hit it in time like did that count yeah and so what you see me then is I'm saying, did you hit it? Did you hit it? Right. But in my mind, I'm thinking, Cody, you cannot lose your temper here if the producers come out and say it was too late. Right. So I'm having this like all at once. I'm trying to not lose my shit because I'm thinking, (laughs) you're not about to tell me I'm going home. Right. And is this even happening? Is this real? Yeah. And it was just one of those like perfect TV thing, you know, it just lined up. Right. And then um whenever it was sort of like, oh yeah, it counted and it's happening, well, then the rest happened and they right. had to bleep the whole thing. Right. <laughs> Which was just awesome. I I just remembered watching it and being like, Oh man, I don't think it's gonna count and then it was like, Oh shit, right. it counted. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that was a good moment. Uh-huh. And it it was cool because then they produced it, you know, like I um I was the last seat on CeeLo's team right. to be filled. Right. The way that they set it up. I don't really remember it to be that way In, really. Sure. Um I I don't I I know that I didn't sing on the last day because the last day, I don't even think any of those people got to go. I got gotcha. you. Um, okay. Because all the teams were full. Sure. But it was cool because it allowed, I didn't feel like I had a great 
audition song. Like I wasn't like pegged as one of the singers, right? Uh, by any means, but it it set me up to be on everyone's mind going into the next round because I was the last thing they showed. Sure, yeah, and and that's a good story too. I mean, you kind of have a, a built-in underdog story, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. as like mm-hmm. the last one picked on the last team on the last day and the last, 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 last. Yeah. Right. Last second. And I honestly think that they, that was the end, that was as much as they wanted from me. Mm, Because after that, every time I was on, it was to get rid of me. Mm. And I'm not saying that to be bitter. I'm just saying that as a fact. Like they put me up against this girl named Damo. Oh, yeah, for the battle rounds. Season dancer. And we did. A Lady Gaga song with a lot of choreography. I yeah. mean, we had they actually stripped a lot of the choreography away that Damo and I had really she had come up with, but I was going along with it because I wanted to put on a show, you know. Sure. And um, y'all sing Telephone. Yeah, that song right? wasn't meant. That song, yeah, and that yep. song wasn't meant for me at all. But then, for whatever reason, um, you know, I was a better singer than her. Not, right. Not, hey, Dom, hey, Domo. <laughs> but I mean, um, I was a better singer, and right. so I think she was just a little bit too confident for Silo's sure. taste, and um, so I eked it out on that one. Yeah. What, what, what did you say? How you breaking up on me? Sorry, I cannot hear you. I'm kind of busy. And then the very next round, they put me up against the pick to win the whole thing. Like he—he he was the one that all everyone, the papers and everyone was saying he's the one to beat. Yeah. And they put me up against him, and um, that's when I did Jolene. 
And that was when, let me take a look here. Uh, remind me who you battled on that one. That was uh, the knockout. That was Avery Oh, Avery Wilson. Wilson. That's right. I finally got there. Mm-hmm. Took me a minute um, in my notes. But yeah, that was... Yeah, that was somebody that was pretty impressive. But um, I tell you what, your rendition of Jolene, and I want to kind of pause here for a minute too because I had never, and I know you had you referenced in the in the show even that you your inspiration was the the white stripes version of Jolene. That's right. And mm-hmm. but I had never heard that before, and so this was for me the first time hearing a man sing Jolene, and it 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 has a certain different powerful quality to it. And Dolly Parton's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, um, so for me, it was a lot of things. Dolly Parton, um, the first possession I ever owned that was my thing. It was mine for whatever reason was a Dolly Parton greatest hits cassette. (laughs) And I had no business. I don't even, I don't even know where it came from. You know, I might've just found it in the trash. Who knows? But it was mine. And I listened to that thing. I still have it. Yeah. But, um, it it set the course for my whole life. Right. And for me, I wasn't ever a fan of Dolly Parton. I was a student. And I sure. studied okay. and studied and studied. And I never, it never occurred to me that she meant anything to anyone else. I just thought she was my thing. Sure. Okay. And then I get to Nashville and it's like Dolly Parton candles everywhere and you know right. this and that. And she's become over the past... I would say 15 years, this sort of legend legacy artist, where it's now she's like in another sphere in pop culture, even. Um, where when I was growing up, you know, she was a joke to right. everybody, but to me, she was like it. Right. And so I felt like spiritually, if that was the first point that I got to make a decision on the show. Yeah. Because they okay. don't really let you decide things. Yeah. And the list of songs you get to choose from is very small. And it at that time it didn't it did not refresh from season to season. So you're seeing songs on this list that have already been done. Sure. And Jolene had been done by um what's her name? Vicky Martinez. Oh in season yes. One. Yes. And so I knew and she had done an incredible version of it with the drum. Right, and yes. she was on Team CeeLo too, and so I I was thinking about all these things because, like I said, I was so calculated about my time on the show, and I was really <laughs> intending to win. Right, and um, so I thought, okay, well, you have made a decision where you've told the producers they are not allowed to ask you anything about being gay. So, oh, I did um, not realize. It. Okay, so that was that was a yeah. So I, that- I I I put my foot down about that that I was not going to be. I was not going to have um, a sob story. Okay. Me and Amanda Brown, my, my good friend Amanda Brown, we mm-hmm. both decided that and stuck to that. And I'm telling you what, those producers will really try to pull one out of you. Sure. Because it helps arc the story. Line right, for the, yeah. for the our, And a lot of people don't have a lot to say. You know, They don't know how to fill the time, and so it fills the time. Yeah. But I didn't want... I didn't want to do that and I didn't want to I didn't want to use gay as a negative. Yes. Or yes. as a struggle. Uh because that's not how I wanted that picture to be painted. Right. And so I just took it off the table. And yeah. they respected that. 
That's good. But I did feel like I could do it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And they were going to put me up against... Uh, well, I don't know if I knew who I was going against when I picked my song. But I knew that I had to pick something that was like out of left field dark horse. Yeah. And so Jolene was on the list, but not the White Stripes version. Sure. And I had not known that version very long. But when I heard it, I was just like, Jesus. Right. That is so cool. It just was. I mean, it just was. Yeah. And so I I just put it all out there. Because, yeah. I mean, I was against Avery Wilson, and he is a beast. Yeah. Um, and he was only like 16 or 17 then. And so... Right. Um, but yeah, he just... It turned out that he picked a song that, you know, wasn't as dynamic. Maybe it was an Usher song, and he did a lot of choreography he that left uh, him out of breath. Yeah, he did uh, Chris Brown. Like, yeah, 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 three times. Yeah, which is not was a, that Chris Brown? Yeah, it's Chris Brown. Um, and well, my whole life that's been Usher. So it's okay. You for correcting me. <laughs> I uh, I was uh, I had the song uh, in my frequent playlist for a while. It's fun and it's upbeat, but it is a dance song, not a vocal song. Well, and he was trying to show. Um, you know, in in his defense and to his credit, he was and maybe still is an excellent dancer. And I think he was just trying to show all the things. Yeah, sure. Um, that makes sense. But uh, my little my little Jolene really resonated, and still, like I cannot outrun the song. I mean, it's <laughs> the most played of anything. Like they leave your voice, you know, songs up um, right. as much as I'd love for them to go into the Disney vault that <laughs> live on and Jolene, you know, I can't top it. It's, it's, it's up there. Yep. So. Jolene, 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 Jolene. I'm begging of you, please don't take my man. Jolene, 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 Jolene Please don't take him even though you can He talks about you in his sleep And there's nothing I can do to keep from crying 
So now you you've crushed uh, the knockout rounds. You're you're on the live show. Walk mm-hmm. me through uh, your decision to. I, I know we're skipping ahead a little bit, but I want to talk about Crazy mm-hmm. in Love because that's such a an amazing story about your. You know, we're talking about production. We're talking about you know you not really having a say. Jolene being the first time you had a say. Well, Crazy in Love, you had a massive say in what you mm-hmm. wanted to sing, what you wanted to wear, what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was just a top-notch performance. And and I read an article where you were quoted as saying, I knew that if I stopped for even half a second to hesitate, they would shut it down. And so you didn't. You just went all out, nonstop, and even had a picture of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome as the inspiration for the, mm-hmm. the outfit. So walk me through that whole origin story of, uh, of Crazy in Love. Well, that, that that was pure rebellion and defiance at that point. Right. Because I'm no dummy. <laughs> and they, you know, I had the Damo thing. I had the Avery Wilson thing. Right. And then I wasn't doing, I wasn't um, charting as high. So I knew I was kind of in the middle. Right. And that was a dangerous place to be. And so... Um, and previous to this, I did, I did, I did really well on the first, on the right out of the gate, like our first live week. I, I, you I did. did one more try by George Michael, right? And that did well. And I was really, yeah, I, I was really happy with that one. Um, but I was CeeLo's save, like he yeah. saved me, right? Um, after that performance, and I just thought, hmm. I did really good on that. Right. And uh, at-home audiences, just I'm not in their, I'm not on, on their plate. Right. And so um, and to be I was f- feeling a little... Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. I was just going to say, and to be fair, you know, the public votes, just looking at this on that week, was Nicholas David, and he was singing, you're the first, mm-hmm. the last, my everything, and then Trevin Hunt singing, how am I supposed to live without you? So those are who the public's been seeing a lot of those two guys and so you know right and at that point it was still just team based right so like if i wasn't up there and trevin trevin was just gonna be our top dog it wasn't until nicholas really started flexing and showing that freak flag that that he was like oh the one to watch right um but so then i did the best, and right. I liked that song, but that was sort of that. That left me middle of the pack, right? And that was the top and, twelve, uh, yeah. And then it was time to do the next one, right. and they call. You're supposed to get your song. So like Monday and Tuesday are the shows. You get your song Wednesday. 
you then go into rehearsals Thursday and you record it on Friday and then Monday you're singing it. Okay. And so um, it was Thursday and they hadn't given me my song yet. Oh, wow. And I'm not really panicked. I'm just sort of like they're having trouble trying to figure out what to do with me now because they don't feel like I have any more to say. Right. And um, so then I get a call from production and they say, uh, CeeLo has decided, which I had already figured out that CeeLo didn't have anything to do with it. You know, he's he's there for airtime just like me. Right. Um, But they say CeeLo has decided he wants you to do too late to apologize by One Republic, and what? now I was in—I uh, I can't make this up. I was in uh, in the bath <laughs> in my hotel room, which which put me in a position of I don't give a fuck anymore sure. because yeah. I'm in the bath and I'm in charge. Right. Like, that's just how I think about myself when I'm in the bath. Right, and so um, she says. You know, they, he wants you to do that song. And I said, well, I'm not doing that song. <laughs> and there was a long pause, and and they said, why? And I said, listen, that is a go-home song. Yeah. It's forgettable. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything. And I've been your court jester this whole time, but I'm not doing it anymore. And I want something with some meat on it. And if I can't do that, then you can just send me home, but I'm not going to fall on my own sword for you. Wow. And um, they said, well, no, it's, it's not. And I said, yes, it is. And there's no sense in either of us acting like it's something other than what it is. Right. And so either send me home yourself or give me something to sing. Damn. And they said, well, what, what, what do you want to sing? And I said... Well, I would love to do a ballad. I haven't gotten to do a ballad this whole time. You're giving those to Trevin and Cassidy Pope, and yeah. the rest of us are just chump change. And um, they were like, well, you know, we just don't, that's not what we, what what you do for us. That's not what you do. That's not who you mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. On, on the show. That's who they are. That's not who you are. Right. And I was like, well, you're going to have to come up with something, because <laughs> I'm not doing that song. Right. So they hang up. We're, we're, we're going to take this back to CeeLo. We'll call you back. So I just, I let the cold water out and refill the tub and wait. Right. And um, they call back and they said, all right, CeeLo's decided he wants you to do Money, Money by Billy Idol. Hmm. Isn't, that how, isn't that who sings that? Uh, money, money. I think da, so. Da, da, da. I'm not too familiar with that um, one. <laughs> And I just said, no, no, no. There's no way. <laughs> that is a joke yeah. of a song. And they were like, well, we're we're at the end, you know, we're out of time here. So w- what do you want to sing? And I said, well, hmm. I said, the one that I would do has already been done in in the in the battle round. Yeah. And I said, it's I said, it's Crazy in Love by Beyonce. And they were like, hmm. And they said, well, it was done, but it was montaged. So no oh, one actually sure. heard, no one heard the, the, the full rendition of it. Of it. They just yeah. saw it. They didn't even hear it. They just saw it. Sure, sure. 
And um, because if they had heard it, I would have had no business doing it because this black girl sang it and fucking killed it. Like, right. it was incredible. Right. But um, I said I want to do Crazy in Love, and I know exactly how I'll do it. And they're like, well, it's too late now to... Um, it's too late to apologize, actually. But uh, they were like, it's too, it's too late now to nice go through all of the, you know, we're going to have to rush this into rehearsals, and then you're going to have to go straight to wardrobe and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I'm there. I'll be ready. Sure. And so I went down to the hotel lobby office thing, and I printed out all my inspo sheets from Mad Max and everything. Right. I knew exactly how... how I wanted to treat it um, because Beyonce had this live recording of it where she does the whole, do you know my name and all that? Oh yes. And yes, yes. Uh, she actually breaks into crazy in love. No crazy by CeeLo. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the middle, um, she does like this break where she goes, come on now, who do you? And then it's just this whole thing. So that was my plan. And so I walk into rehearsal, guns loaded, like we are not fucking around today. I have a point to make. Right. And and you know, you're timed on your rehearsal. You just can't take all day. Right. And so um, I walk in. And Jennifer Hudson's in there <laughs> as like um, a mentor, like a surprise mentor. That right. Day. I did not have any time for that. <laughs> but, you know, you got to do the whole thing. Right. Well, in my mind, I thought, okay, she's not going to be interested in anything to do with Beyonce. Right. Because I. To I, my opinion was that she, you know, felt like the Dreamgirls thing had, you know, Beyonce tried to make it the Beyonce show, and you right. know, it was what it was. Right. But um, she was in there, and so they they wanted me to, like, try to include her in the process of the rehearsal, and so I... Sure. I told CeeLo what I wanted to do, and I told the whole band, and everybody was just kind of look, looking at me wide-eyed and stunned because I had really thought it out. <laughs> and um, production stopped it, and they were like, you can't, we don't have clearance for you to do crazy in the middle. Mm. I said, the man that wrote it sitting right there, ask him right now. Right. And I said, CeeLo, do you care if we do crazy in the middle? And 
in this break? And he was like, no, I, I, I don't care. And I said, he doesn't care. So we got the clearance from him. Right. And so they were like, okay, well, let's do two versions. Let's do the version where you do crazy in the middle, and then let's do a version where you it's just straight through. And I was like, okay, fine. And I had a moment while they were sort of resetting cameras or whatever where um, I got to just sit with Jennifer, and she was nice enough, you know, because when cameras aren't rolling, celebrities get a little, they get a little shifty. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not there to really talk to you. And so right. I understood that, was trying to be respectful, but also wanted to know um, how, how, well, I asked her how long from being on Idol to when she got the call to do like Sex in the City, or I think that was her first break. That sounds right. Um, what was the length of time? And she told me, and she was like, it was it was completely radio silent in that time. Mm. Like nothing happened, yeah. happened for me. But then I got the break and blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was really nice that she took a minute to sort of talk to me, just sort of artist to artist, um, having had her start the same way. And much as she might try to forget it, I'm not forgetting it. And here right. we are. Right. And so we moved on. Got a call later that I couldn't do, um, I couldn't oh, with do the crazy in the break, the crazy break, because they argued that it would be considered um, a, a medley, which would give me an edge because it was two songs instead of one. Oh. So I was like, all right, fine. And then um, moving on to the. Um, they let me keep the but wait I ain't done yet. Right. section because that was part of the live track. She mm-hmm. does that. Um and so I when we got to the stage rehearsals, we had the dancers and we sort of adjusted the choreographies to where I could do it, you know, right. the stuff that we did together. And um I said, well, I want to throw this microphone. (laughs) And they were like, you absolutely cannot throw the microphone. (laughs) And I said, it'll really work. I can just toss it. And the dude, the mic tech was like, I can catch it. It's fine. Let him throw it. The stage manager, I I think he hated my guts. But um, (laughs) so we practiced it. It worked. Everybody loved it. And then night of the show, I threw it a little too hard and a little to the left. And um, he had to actually lunge. And he did catch it, but it wasn't as graceful as we rehearsed it. And it, it all worked. Right. But um, wardrobe, they were they were the dream team because I walked in with my inspiration. And at first, head of wardrobe was like, we don't have the time to make this. And right. I was like, sure we do. Um because I in college and my other than singing, I had been a tailor. I, I altered clothes okay. for a living. Um, so I knew exactly what to do. And we went in the archives and found this motorcycle jacket. And I said, we're going to rip this sleeve off. And then we're going to take this leather belt. And we're going to sew it onto this shoulder. And then give me all those chains. And we started pinning stuff on it. And in 10 minutes, we had the whole thing pulled together. And the seamstress has started sewing it up. But That's awesome. I still have it. And... Um, it's one of the things I kept from the show, and um, I just, if I ever get to actually make it, make it, 
I want that to be like in a in a glass case in a hard rock cafe somewhere. Oh, that's badass. That would be great. I love that. <laughs> that's awesome. But as soon as I finished and I got off the stage, I immediately went, because that was live. Yeah. So people at home are watching it. Uh, everybody back home thought, you have really fucked yourself. Oh, wow. <laughs> they told they told me later, you know, that they sure. just felt like that was way <clears throat> too left of center. But as soon as I got off stage, I went, behind the green room tent and just buckled and cried my face off because I knew that they all wanted me gone, you know, and I I knew that um, I was fighting so hard and was reaching so far to just stay Yeah, that um, it got to me that night. But there was no denying that they had to let me, like, I, I made it another week. Yeah. Do you know my name? Everybody say. One, two, three, four. I will look stay so deep in your eyes. I touch on you more and more every time. When you leave, I'm begging you not to go. Because of that. Yeah. Um, they, they couldn't argue that I had earned my spot. So, yep. So you, I mean, that was just so memorable and so amazing. And now you mm. go, <clears throat> you go from there, you're in the top eight and the top eight is your swan song. You sing somebody to mm-hmm. love by, by queen and mm-hmm. did a great job. And then unfortunately that was just, that was the end of the road. So as we're wrapping up this segment, last thing, I want you to talk me through what it was like singing that last song and then eliminated and then kind of saying goodbye to your time on the voice. 
Well, um, we had gotten to do CeeLo's team. He filmed this Christmas special in Vegas with the Muppets. Oh, yes. And Rod Stewart. And we got to go and be a part of that. And it was all of us on his team that season with some of his favorites from before. And Vicky Martinez was there. And we just so happened to have gotten to the airport in Vegas at the same time. And they put us in the same car. Oh, nice. And so I asked her, I don't think we'd started a live show yet. And I asked her, I said, I need some advice. Just, you know, what would you, you say to someone that's about to go through this? And she said, you're not going to be able to do it, but try to prepare yourself for the quiet that's going to come after. Oh, wow. And I said, okay, cool. Thanks. And I, it was just sort of like one of those Obi-Wan Kenobi things that I right. stowed away. Yeah. And because for someone like me who their whole life up to that point had been about getting to the biggest stage possible. And at that moment in time, the voice was the biggest stage on the planet. Yeah. And it was playing syndicated in every country and Maybe it still is, but they were all seeing it, and um, I had I knew every week I had three minutes that I may never get again. Yeah. Of of the whole world is watching yeah. just me. Yeah. You know, and so I was like living my dream. They were buckling me in, you know, do touching up my face and putting my wig on and all the things, and it was just like. It was nuts that this was all I ever wanted. Right. And so I went into every week, looking back, you know, I would do it so differently, but I was letting that be pressure. Yeah. Well, because I didn't know then, I didn't have the capacity then to know the difference between ego and real self, which is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but um, I knew that I wasn't going past somebody's love. Like they they gave me that week, but they weren't going to give me another one. So much so that Mark Burnett, uh, the... The executive producer. The, the executive producer, which they warned us before we ever started. They said, if Mark Burnett ever comes towards you at any point during production, go the other way. No matter what he says to you, do not listen to it, period. <laughs> and he came up to me backstage in the on the lot, you know, on the concrete, but right. outside of the building. It's a big circus. You know, you've got the artist green tent, and you've got all of, at that point, all of the um, coaches' trailers. They weren't sequestered. They were back there. And so it's just kind of like, if they want to pop in, they do. And then if there's any sort of celebrities, they're back there, you know? Right. And uh, so it was dark, and Mark Burnett comes up to me after Crazy in Love Night, and he said, that was pretty ballsy what you did, and I know what you were doing, and that worked for you once, but it won't work for you again. Wow. So don't try it. And um, that's a good... You know, I understand that he's huge entertainment and people say not to say things about people, but 
<laughs> that is all I have to say about that man's character. Yep. And that's all we'll say. Yep. But anyway, um, so I knew what I knew, and I knew Somebody to Love was a huge song, and they were giving me a choir, which was more than I'd had before. Like That was the most production I had ever had. Yeah. So if I was going to go out, why not go out in an all emerald suit with right. my with my face, you know, right. highlighted to the gods? Right. And so uh, that's what I did. Yep. But I was hearing Vicky Martinez in my head, the on results night. Yep. And when they didn't call my name, <clears throat> it was ex- it was it was a it was a vacuum. Yeah. Of um, it was like a riptide. Yeah. Uh, they they take the microphone out of your hand as all of the kids are hugging each other and I love you, one, 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 the church camp stuff. Right. And um, and then they take the mic pack off of you and then you go immediately through the press junket. Um, some CeeLo did not do that with me. Christina Aguilera did it with Des Duran. He went when I went. Right. And um, I thought that was nice of her to do that with him, but CeeLo didn't do it with me. And um, immediately at the – so that's a little red carpet that you do right. in, a, in a building. You know, it's very controlled. Right. But immediately at the end – so when you get to the last reporter and they're done with you, the carpet stops and there is a golf cart waiting. And you're immediately carted to a building. like a, It's built like a an apartment complex. It's like that – stairs that go up to another floor but it's all open you can see right and they usher you into this little apart empty apartment and there's a psychologist or psychiatrist or somebody sitting at a desk and he asks you these questions how do you feel do you know who you are and where you are are you going to hurt yourself that kind of stuff right and um then they take you to wardrobe and you take but now the, uh, you're not at wardrobe with everyone else. They've already gone through and gone back to the hotel. So now right. you're sequestered. Yeah. And so um, you and there's not all and wardrobe isn't all there. They've all left. So there's just a little intern in there. <laughs> and so you um, turn in your clothes. If you're Amanda Brown, you take your entire rack and all your shoes. <laughs> I did not have the gumption to do that. So I took. A couple of things. If I could go back in time, I would have taken that emerald <laughs> green suit. But I didn't do it. Right. And um, I took my crazy in love, obviously, and and some some shoes that I liked, and that was about it. And um, then you go back to the hotel, and and for me, because I was in the top eight, uh, the next couple of nights were just finale stuff. Right. You know, so we, I didn't go home. Yeah. Um, I had to stay. So then I'm just staying, you know, with nothing to do. Yeah. Um, but it took two full years of work. One year that I was refused to do the, the work. I was just like, no, there's, I am not changed. Celebrity has done nothing to me. I'm the same person. And then it was a year of recognizing that and doing something about it. Uh, it took two years for me to get it all the way out of my system. Yeah. Um, to come down off of the mountain. Well, so. you're, you're listening to After the Encore. We'll be right back with more Cody Ballou after this. Every shadow in this fall is new. 
Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Sean. I'm here with Cody Ballou. And now, the silence. Yes. And I, <laughs> I, the, the caveat that I, I want to say, because I am not bitter. I might sound bitter because of the way I you know, inflect, <laughs> but okay. I'm not. Um, I knew I wasn't one of these, you know, green kids going into this. I knew what the show was about. And, right. And I... And I did it? I would do it again. I would do it way differently. But um, I knew that you know you got to have a story, and when your story's up, your time's up. Right. Um, that's unless you pull something crazy out of the hat. But by that point, the momentum of the show is going the way it's going. Right. It's hard to stop that train. Yeah. And um, I wasn't willing to drop like a the gay thing or do a sob story. So you know, that's the way it went. Right. Um. And I was happy, happy to do it. I mean, thrilled to do it. I just, I wish I had known everything I know now, you know. Right. Um, but, yes, the silence started, and then I got to work on really finding who I was as a musician and who I wasn't afraid to be. Because I went on The Boys thinking, okay, you're not going to be able to go home and do country music like you want to do because that country music doesn't exist. Yeah. And um, so you can't go on the show and do the country music you, you want to do because you can't be you can't represent yourself as that artist and then expect to go home and get a record deal. Right. So what are you going to do? Your other option is to be the best entertainer the show has and do these big like George Michael, Prince, Queen, like the bigs. Right. You, you can be that. And then after the show, maybe you have a shot at being that sort of dynamic male pop person. Right. And that's really what I thought I, I was going to do. So when I when I got off the show, I did a full-length pop record that I loved. Um, it was like Bruno Mars before Bruno Mars really kicked into that. that. Oh, sure vein that it is now we, we were sort of ahead of that curve um and uh then um that i did that and then i did a country ep that was very much just trying to play the game and give them that sort of mainstream thing um that wasn't really honest um you know but it was me trying to do what i had to do right um and then, which led me to the record that I'm still, I'm just sort of leaking um, singles at right. this point. It's it's a full um, 12 songs, but 
you know, so many people nowadays say don't as an ind- independent artist and even as a, as a, a signed artist not to put out a full record anymore, you know, right. singles. Right. Uh, so I, on some level, I would love to just put this record out. But as an indie artist, um, it's just not viable. It's not it doesn't work. You know, yeah. you're going to put it out to who? Right. And um, the way the algorithms work on, on social media and on things like Spotify, if it's not just like the full force of your your audience clicking and reclicking, it's just not going to break through the noise. Right. Um, and so now we're back to that lady at the grocery store saying, why would you ever do this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's, you know, there's no there's no playbook right. anymore. And it's, it is, I mean, to your point, there's no playbook. I, it, it's so true because, you know, you used to have bands and artists and going through garages and bars and then paying their quote unquote, paying their dues and working the tour mm-hmm. and then opening and then eventually making it, that kind of stuff. And then you had, you know, that changed and you had like the American Idol formula and then that changed. And then you had like people, you know, Usher discovering Justin Bieber on YouTube that changed it. I mean, mm-hmm. just, and now it's really just, I think I, I had a really good conversation. Actually, this is a shout out to Natalie Price from volume one of after the encore, who uh, is a singer songwriter out of Austin, Texas. But we were chatting about how people don't people how do i how did she phrase this it was very eloquent uh and she linked me to an article but she talked about consumers don't are just now starting to realize that people are not writing their own songs sure they're writing the lyrics but the music a lot of the music taylor swift was an example she had sent there's the same people writing the the music over and over and over again. And so it's starting to sound the same. And so I uh-huh. think we're on the precipice of this big singer songwriter surge of originality that has been heretofore lacking in a lot of the musical industry. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're getting there because I think the downside to Spotify, to your point is people got to be clicking and clicking and clicking. And it's really difficult to, to track or see that in the way we used to. But the good thing about it is because you have all this access to these different artists, if you're listening to them over and over again, they're starting to sound the same and you go, wait, I want to, I want to branch out and I want to hear something different and hearing somebody different takes you to another artist and takes you down a different path that you wouldn't have Mm -hmm. gone through. And so I think, I think we're getting there as a society, but it's, it's been difficult. And so, yeah, it is, it is difficult to track and it is, it is work to your point. Right. It, it is work. And on a lot of days, it feels like work that isn't going to move the needle. Right. And so it almost feels hopeless. You know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, be doom and gloom about it. I'm just at this point, I'm a realist. Sure. You know, my twenties were for <laughs> the <laughs> reckless abandon of I'm gonna do it, you know, like right. the Mary Tyler Moore thing. Yeah. But um my thirties I'm just like, you know, I'm I'm so honest now with my work and my music. I'm so proud of it. 
Um, I'm so happy to call myself an Americana artist. Yep. You know, I'm a real singer songwriter. I don't really write a lot with others. I'm sort of a lonely wolf in that sense. Um, I write mostly by myself and the, this, the song like, like crimes I wrote by myself. Um, but now it's gotta be because I love doing it because I, 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 I don't like, like me going, like for instance, at the end of this week, I'll be in Florida playing the 38 songwriter festival Mm -hmm. again for a second year. And I love it so much because even the like Tanya Tuckers and the John Prines that are headlining it, you still feel in that arena like um, we're all the same. You know, we're just right. people that write songs um, about life experiences and as a reflection of the times, like Nina Simone says, you know, if you're not an artist, you're not an artist if you're not reflecting the times. Right. And um, it took me, so I did one, two, uh, this record is called The Wreck. If the whole thing ever comes out, that's what it's called. Okay. But um, it took me four stabs at recording a body of work to really be honest. Yeah. Um, because I just wasn't willing. Like, I have never written a song with gender-specific spe- pronouns on yeah. purpose. Yeah. Because I didn't want to lie about, you know, a she kind of song. Right. Or her. But I also didn't want to tell the truth either. Yeah. So if it was about you, me, us, um, I mean, I was gender non-binary before any right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. before that was even a thing but it's because I just um, I still haven't written a song with he and him in it Um, and I've been able to do it and justify it to myself by saying well if you don't include the pronouns then then it can be for anybody yeah Um, and that gave me a way out of being that's that's sort of the last chip of complete honesty in a song that I haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. But I think like even, um, and even kind of coming back just a little bit, when you sang Jolene, you know, you're singing about, mm-hmm. please don't take my man. And that was right. Yeah. That, well, I didn't write that one, but yeah, right. That, no, I know you didn't write it, um, but, <laughs> but you sang it. And for, and, and honestly at the time I, um, I was trying to make that be about, war right jolene being war yeah yeah so like please don't take my son or my friend or my my platoon mate right um and that's how i justified the him and the man and the he stuff yeah um but no one bought that everybody at home was like she already done had her right (laughs) you know (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is what it is. So walk me through crimes because you had this mm-hmm. really great article talking about how crimes is about your uh, depiction of your life growing up, being gay in the South, being closeted, and then you know, like also you're going to church and Southern Baptist, and so all of those 
kind of themes are woven into the song and you've got a amazing music video as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I just the imagery is fantastic and and it just I mean, you sitting in the chair with the ropes around you and the different icons or imagery uh, from the LGBTQ plus community. And then also, you know, the words, homosexuality and, and all these different uh, just imagery coming in is very poetic. And so talk me through the creation of the song and then also talk me through the uh, idea for the video and how the execution was and just all of those aspects here. Sure. So um, I wrote the lyrics to Crimes in one sitting on a plane. Okay. I was headed to, to, to New York. And something happened. I wish I could remember. There was something in the news. It might might have had something to do with Arkansas because they're always trying to pass some anti-LGBT um, yeah. law. You know, any way they can slip those in, they do. Right. Um where I'm from and um, something happened that triggered me to it. Maybe there were some hate crimes against some people mm -hmm. on a bus or something. And I just got really angry, but um, the thought of, well, I've been a crime. I've been considered a crime, I guess my whole life. Yeah. If you really want to, be honest. Right. Um, I don't feel, I have never felt, you know, explicitly that way. Like a lot of, a lot of gay people, um, or anyone that's marginalized, you know, you feel there are certain people that live in certain places that it's like a daily thing. Right. Like just being a hammer. But I, I never, I didn't have that, that experience. But, I do have, you know, timeline things that um, made me feel a certain way or, or made me feel like I couldn't be a certain way. Sure. And so it was interesting to me to explore this idea of hate crimes against gay people or um, society um, – trying to beat them back. Right. Um, and the thought of that being a crime against gay people, but then to, to go deeper into that, to say, you are the crime. Right. That's how they, that's how they thought about gay people or some people still do. And so um, that imagery was easy for me to write. And then I broke it up into I've been a crime since as far back as I go. Right. And then I sort of talked about the church. And and then I've been – then the next verse is I've been a crime since the day my eyes could see. And then I talk about, you know – um, saying that I've been this way my whole life right. and being a little boy and praying in my room and just me and God, you know. Right. And I was always taught that Jesus loves the little children of the world, that whole thing. Right. And that children are lambs of God and they'll always go to heaven and blah, blah, blah. 
And so I knew that I knew that I didn't have a safe place in church. But for a lot of gay people, they that are grow up religious, they can't have gay and God. Right. They have to choose. In, in their mind, they have to choose. Right. For me, I didn't run away from God. I ran right to God, but not in like that religious spectacle way. I ran to God in the in the most purely um, the innocence of a child way mm. of, of of deduction. Like, okay, so. If God, if Jesus loves all the little children, and I'm a child, and he, I can talk to him anytime I want, and he comes to me in my darkest hour. Like I was sort of referencing right. all the hymns. Right. And if I go into my room, and if I pray as as hard as I can, then he he must be listening to me here. Right. And so every time I prayed, it was. A very direct prayer, because, you know, Baptists tell you to pray very directly. Yes. And so I would pray, like, if this is not what you want or what you intended for me, take it away. Yeah. And I prayed that thing, I mean, all the time. I mean, sweating. Right. And um, he never took it away. And then eventually, he said to me, "You, I, I made you on purpose, not a mistake. And I intend for you to do big things and to be alive. Period. That's it. Um, and so that's awesome." Once I got the answer, me and God were cool, and right. no one was going to take that. Like, so many people find their their God time. It has to be. It's a. It's tied to church. Well, I didn't. I couldn't have church. Right. Because church wasn't. I, I didn't. Yeah. They didn't want me. You know. Yeah. For the whole me, and so. I got I I got God out in the wilderness just like Jesus did. Right. And um I would say to the real churchy church people that what what's the what's the moment that your faith was tested in a way that somebody wanted to take it away from you. Yeah. Like the church doesn't want me to have any faith, right? Because it's it's you can have it if you're not gay, but if you are gay, you're going to hell, right? And so, um, I got my faith the hardest way, which was in total desperation of a child, like a little kid, yeah, saying. God, I can't do this. Like, it's either you or nothing. Or, or, or nothing. Yeah. And so, um, I when I got to the, the 
to writing crimes, um, I knew that I had to say that somehow. Yeah. And so then the, the last verse is, you know, I stacked my crumbs right up against, I stacked your crumbs right up against mine to see who had it worse. Uh, because, you know, they want to say a sin is a sin is a sin and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, um, and God has given me the most full and fruitful and privileged life. And I'm as gay as a $2 bill. <laughs> and, and it's because I show up and I do the work, but I, I make a, a very conscious decision every day to be joyful yeah. and to allow people to, to look at me. And even if they can't get down with the gay part, they can still say he's a good, he is a good man. Right. And he, and God, God lives through him. And, sh- and shines through. That's and awesome. so, um, crimes was a real scary thing for me to put out. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. And then the video at first I was like, well, we can do this video where like all sort of marginalized people like home. We're going to show some homeless people and some black people and some old people and some disabled people. Right. And um, honestly, my mom, she was like, yeah, that's the way you should do that. You shouldn't go down the gay road. But then I kept coming back to it. And I was like, you know, mom, I went back to, to, to the Nina Simone thing about you have to be a reflection of the times. Yeah. And I said, you know, this is the one thing that I can speak on that I know about. I don't know about being homeless. Right. I don't know about being black. I mean, I, I work every day to understand a, a speck of what it means to be black. Right. Because that's my job as a white person, yeah. all of you out there listening. But <laughs> what I know about is being gay. And so if I'm going to be honest as a songwriter and then not be honest as a visual artist, then what the hell am I doing? Right. And so I chose to put it all in there and i wanted it to be like this seedy dirty garage that i had been sort of kidnapped and stuck in yep and then made to watch my own kind um struggle yep and that was the the point yep but it was it was wholeheartedly received i think it's it really scared my dad a little um my mom was got right behind me. She was like, you know, whatever you need to do and say, do and say it, and we'll be we'll be here to handle whatever happens, you know. But right. um, social media was good to it and nice about it, and ASCAP was nice enough to do a little spot on it, and so was the Americana Fest right. people and um, so many people. I didn't know to post at that time. I was. I didn't know to post the YouTube link on Facebook because I felt like 
people weren't clicking on those types of things. So I embedded it on Facebook. Someone told me to do that and it was better. And it was viewed like 20,000 times or something, but you know, you can't count that on Facebook. It's just, it doesn't show up that way. But, um, I was just very, Oh, you know, I was a little shocked that people, uh, were that nice about it. And then, older generation gay people were sending me messages and saying like my god this is exactly how i felt wow and you summed it up in a song my whole experience being a gay person because these these little people coming out you know in middle school and stuff um and even me you know like getting to come out in college and 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 experience dating and all of that in my early 20s i'm still meeting people in the south that didn't right get to do that and they're and you know people don't understand how underdeveloped socially gay people are because you're going through your teens in your 20s right right Dating and having crushes and getting to talk about it with people and share it with your friends and pass notes. You didn't, you, we weren't doing all that. Right. Um, and so crimes, as much as it's like a, don't worry, we saw what you did there. It's also a, that's why the last line of it is, um, if you're putting me out of my misery, you better make it stick. Right. Because my point was, you better just kill me because I am here to be a light. Right. Uh, And if you don't, if you don't blow it out all the way, I'm just going to keep lighting it. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, it, it was a good, and that's the first single I released from the record um and was thrilled with it and so now you know i'm gonna be touring this summer um with a friend of mine named hannah blaylock we did a a cover of brandy carlisle's the joke um that video is out and on youtube and you can find it through my socials but um we're both from arkansas and she's she was in a, a trio called eden's edge that was signed and had some singles out um, in the 2000s, and nice. uh, we've reconnected, and um, we um, are so good together that we just felt like it was undeniable to to keep trying to ignore, you know, that that we sounded so good together. So we decided <laughs> we we're going to do a little tour where we do some duets. We're writing some duets and then doing our own stuff, but. Um, yeah, I'm just plugging away at it and um, hopeful, but also realistic. And so it really does come down to the the audience and what they are willing to do. Unfortunately, you can't just put music out anymore um, and then tour. You know, it's or I guess you can. I mean. There's no way. There's no reason that it has to be so difficult, but it really is hard to be a solo artist because now you're having to pay a band, and every single thing costs so much money. Right. And when labels aren't putting up money for artists, I mean they're not even doing that anymore. So. Right. Um, 
you're trying to catch lightning in a jar and um, it ain't storming. So, um, you know, you just keep putting it out and um, keep being honest, really. That's awesome. Well, I know we've had some really great advice. Is there one last quick bit of advice you want to give anybody who might be listening? Yeah, I think um, right now, um, in a time where the people in charge have, um, what's the word? Where the people in charge have, um, oh shit, hang on. <laughs> the word is, um, What's the word when you do something on purpose? Oh, uh, um, intentional. Yes, uh, thank yeah. you. On purpose. So, let me let me yeah. let me take that back. Right. So we are at, in a time where the people in charge have intentionally pitted us all against one another. Right. And I am so deep into politics. It's not funny, and <laughs> like I've said three other times for another podcast, but. Right. <laughs> It's important for us all to see as normal citizens of America and other countries because it's happening everywhere that the the current playbook is to divide and conquer. And if they can make us feel like our neighbor is against us, then they're winning. Right. By distraction. Right. And so my advice and what I'm I've now shifted from being like the other side is dumb and, um, you know, all the other words thought, um, now it's my job to say, find what the truth is. Mm -hmm. Do not rely on Facebook to tell you, right? Do not rely on your neighbor to tell you. Do not rely on Fox News to tell you. Right. But go out there, and if, if you really want to know, then go dig it out. Because it's there. There yeah. are people out there telling the truth. NPR is telling the truth. Right. So go out there and find it, and then make make your decision. But, we all are going to have to do the work to be kind to one another and to see each other as equal, equally underserved by our government. Right. And um, we are at a big, big time paradigm shift across health, spirit, all of it. And... I just – I urge myself every day to look past what somebody puts on line or says that they believe and try to educate them a little bit about another perspective and to be kind. Right. Um, because, man, is it ugly out there. And I just – I'm so sad for all of us that are um, being misled. Yep. 
Definitely. Thank you and good night. (laughs) Well, Cody, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way, I think, is Instagram. But I know so many people are on Facebook, and I still have a big following on Facebook. So I'm I'm always posting on all those things. I honestly do not understand Twitter. I've tried. (laughs) I'm on there, but I'm not really. Um, I know because I uh, I peeked behind the curtain. I I uh, you had released Rodeo, <clears throat> and you yeah, said, that, uh, <clears throat> "Excuse me." You had said, "I want to." How do I get the word out about my music? And I said, "Come onto my podcast." And you went, "I'll I'll do it." And then here we are, months later. Yes, <laughs> I, that that did happen, right. and that uh, was me floundering around on Twitter like, okay, I don't know who's listening. Right. But, and it's odd because, you know, you have – I have like 20-something thousand followers on Twitter, but who the hell knows where they are because – Russia. I think I'm no. just so far down in the algorithm at this point because right. I'm not active. Right, 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 right. But um, yeah. anyway, yeah, yeah, so you can find me on all the things, but um, – all the music is on anything that streams is, is out there. And I would love for people to listen to um, right now. I have three singles. Well, then I, I released a Christmas single. I, oh, I did yes. Joni Mitchell's River. River. Yes. Uh, so I have songs that are out. But when you look me up on on like iTunes and Spotify, my voice stuff comes up first because it's like in heavy rotation everywhere, which is nice. But it's not the stuff that's. That doesn't help me at all. So I right. would urge you to add my music to your playlists and um, like it and share it because those are the things that push it all to the the, the robots that say, oh, let's plug them into that playlist. Right. And playlists are honestly, unfortunately, what um, is is carrying the current of who makes it and who doesn't right now. So if right. I could get on a playlist that's, uh, substantial, well, then we'd be doing something. Right. So. Well, as uh, listeners of the first of all, you may be familiar, what I like to do, uh, and I put this in the show notes of this episode, is I create playlists for each volume of the show, and we put the music that you hear in the podcast episodes in order. And so if you want more of Cody, just go to Spotify, click on the link in the show notes. It'll take you right to the playlist. You can listen and then follow him forever. Fantastic. And I just can't thank you enough for what you're doing. Your podcast is wonderful. Thank you. And I just wish you all the success in the world, and I can't (laughs) wait to share it with all my people. (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, here to play us out one last time is Cody Ballou. I've been a crime against myself since as far back as I go. Preacher man, he slammed his fist Cause the Bible told him so Carry yourself to the front of the line Get ready for the altar call Tack your sins to the side of him Cause he can fix them all Lock me up if what I've got's too much for you to take Tie my hands to the back of my head See what you can bring Cause I'm just a lamb in the lion's mouth And he's got a bone to be And if you put me out of my misery Go ahead and make it quick 
I've seen crimes against my kind since the day my eyes could see You don't know by dragging them down you were taking your toll on me Prayed like a madman up in my room, Lord save me from myself I'll do whatever I need to do, just make me someone else Lock me up if what I've got's too much for you to take Tie my hands to the back of my head See what you can bring Cause I'm just a lamb in the lion's mouth And he's got a bone to be If you put me out of my misery Go ahead and make it quick Stacked your crimes right up against mine To see who's got it worse So far you're no better than me And I'm not such a curse So throw your stones and crack my bones If it helps you sleep at night Cause God's had a hold on me all of my life And Lord I'm hanging on tight Lock me up if what I've got is too much for you to take Tie my hands to the back of my head and see what you can bring Cause I'm just a lamb in the lion's mouth and he's got a bone to pick And if you put me out of my misery, go ahead and make it quick Said if you put me out of my misery, well you better make it stick. This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.